Welcome to episode 283 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, Jason Roberts. I am on my European vacation. I'm currently in Dublin, Ireland. I don't have a good headset, hence the uh, not great audio quality on my mic. Um, but it is a not so beautiful day over here. <laughs> kind of cloudy. <laughs> um, but hey, Jason, how are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> good. How about yourself? Yeah, good. It's been um, it's been a great uh, great uh, vacation so far. My my sister uh, got married. Uh, that was nice. We spent time with my friends Sarah and Shane in Dublin. That's very nice. And we met we met a lot of my UK family. That's nice. Um, yep, not super burnt out, but I am looking forward to coming home. Yeah. So you, you've been what two gone two weeks now? Um, yeah, two weeks at this stage, I think. Okay. Yeah. That's uh. Well, I, that's why I emailed you about doing the show, because it's been three months since we've done one, so I figured it was time to get on the horse, get one out. So, Well, you, do you want to know why I'm excited to get home? Uh, has your app been approved in the uh, app store? Oh, yes, exactly. You got it. <laughs> you got it in one. Well, you're kind of a, you have sort of a single-minded focus on that thing, so I, I can't <laughs> imagine you'd be too excited about much else. <laughs> okay, well, cool. So, what's the, so the app has been approved. Are you willing to talk about it yet? I guess I don't really mind talking about it right now. Right, um, well, let's, let's talk. Just, just like a quick, a quick little overview, but just like not, not a massive fanfare or anything. Go ahead. It's, it's called Lite, L-Y-T-E. Um, and it's just a very simple, very, like based on everything that we've learned through doing the show for so long. <laughs> so, you know, remember all the awful mistakes that I have made with Plugio, like just basically bo- trying to boil the ocean, doing way too much. Well, it's just a super simple concept. It's just you can get coffee delivered to you. That pretty much coffee <laughs> and other and stuff, right? Coffee and coffee and light food. Yeah, basically, the kind of food light, that you find at a coffee at a like a Starbucks. Starbucks, yeah, or and you know probably one day more fast foody, but certainly at the moment just very simple premium coffee stores. That's basically where it is. And uh, you know, you you basically thought of the name. Uh, because I said to you, you know, it's just for light food. It's just for light food. Just call um, it light. <laughs> yeah. Just keep it simple. Well, whenever you can um, find a word that's that's either defines it or is a word that you, one of the first words that come to mind to describe it, that's always a good option. It's a good thing to to, to look at as a, as a possible name, I think. So, yes. you, you know, I mean, you started talking about it. I, I guess I remember I was in the car driving to the gym. <laughs> I remember exactly where it was in the road and you're kind of like, well, it's kind of light food. And I'm like, yeah, light. I think that's it. That's your name right there. Oh, and then, you know, use the Y or something. And, uh, I think it's great. Well, well, I, I love, I love the name. Um, but I also love what you've done with the, um, the branding and the user interface. I mean, it is really, really well done. So, you know, even, so you're in a launch initially in Pasadena, correct? Well, so th- this is the reason why I don't really mind talking about it because um, it's not <laughs> going to be it's not going to be this huge big thing. I mean, it's it really is a continued bootstrap side project, and it, it's going to start in a very small way, as you say. Get your first customer, you know. <laughs> yeah, it. well, you know, you 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 would you would pair, you every once in a while you'd kind of get yourself really excited and worked up, and you start talking about all the upside potential, and you know, raise and whether it's raising money or whether it's just I don't know, doing all these things are just way down the road. And I'm like, you know what? Right yeah. now, you need to focus on getting your first 10 customers. And then after that, it's getting first yeah, it's, 100 and then your first 1,000. You know, like, let's just. So it's just, the same as like when Plugio started. It's just 
super light, you know, small, get a few customers, get their feedback, see what they think, just build it up very organically, very slowly. But, um, well, that's how, that's how, that's how everything starts, you know, people, every, you know, almost always, I mean, I, I, occasionally you have these, these companies that raise just a ton of money and, 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 and have these huge releases. But, you know, if you look at most of the things that have worked that you look at, I mean, whether, you know, things like Uber and Airbnb, I mean, they all started with one car, one room. Yeah. To rent. I mean, the Airbnb guys put a, I guess they put like a air mattress in their, in a room in their apartment or something. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Yeah. That's it. You know, you you know, it's like, and, and you probably look across the board, and I bet you find that the majority of successful startups started that way. They didn't have a lot of money, and they just started small. But the the benefit you have is that you don't make big mistakes. You make small mistakes. If you screw up, you screw up with one person or ten people or fifteen people, not with you know fifty thousand people or five million people. Well, it's been a lot of fun building it on the side, um, especially because. It's because it's such a simple, small thing, right? It's just, you know, order your coffee and sandwiches and the guy brings it to you. It's, it's just a simple problem and just focusing on a simple UI and also the back end and very simple dispatch system. And well, the, the UI, UI is, is extremely well done. So you really well, thanks, put man. Thanks. some spit and polish on that. So I think what, what I was getting, getting get at earlier is like, even if you don't live in Pasadena or even the US and you want to, see an example of a really well done uh, mobile UI that's done with titanium. Then they should download like it's in the app store and you're going to be put it in the Google play store, right? Cause you have, you, you have a uh, yeah. version of it, right? So, so a couple of notes about that. One is um, I wish that were true. What you just said, that's actually the bug that needs to be fixed, which I you know, realized when I was here, I think if you're outside America and possibly if you're inside America, if you type in anywhere, Basically, if you try and type in Pasadena or something like that, which is the only area where it would show a, a store, um, it doesn't work. <laughs> right. So that so it would be really nice to show people, but that like the next version hopefully will just get pushed out pretty soon. I don't know how long app, the app store takes to push out something with a small bug fix. I mean, it might take a couple of weeks. Who knows? Okay. But um, okay. but anyway, still do download it and try it out. At least you'll see the at least you'll see the registration or whatever. Yeah. And um, you know, it would be nice to have some some beta testers as well. So that'd be kind of cool to do some uh, spoof orders or whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but, but the, the interesting, the other thing is the kind of the dispatch side of things. Mm-hmm. So you had said to me, you know, it just makes sense to do it in node, but I still kind of just didn't. <laughs> well, you're, I just felt you're, like it was like- too early. You're you 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 like to play in your comfort zone, like most people. And you're no, I mean we PHP we've done those. Stuff. We've done a fair amount of note. Um, yeah, but you're still with, a PHP guy. I mean, come on. Right? I guess. I mean, most of your time yeah. is in PHP. That's why you did it. I mean, if you were really comfortable with Node, you'd probably do it in Node. I would think. I mean, why would you not? I mean, it's probably true. But at the same time, um, just just to get that basic system up and running, I felt it was easier to do with like SQL queries. Um. You know, you know the whole thing about like the reason why you do it in Node, right? I guess is about caching the kind of state of where each customer is and making it very kind of in in memory, running in memory. Do you know what I mean? Yep, I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> that's why we build it. Yeah, it's exactly what we build Mode. Right, and, and that's you know. you know that there's a lot of overhead in the programming, in the, in the kind of thinking about it, the architecting, I mean, like just generally creating something like that. There's a lot of overhead, whereas if you just have like a an order table and and a kind of like with it with a location 
that kind of covers it with a MySQL kind of scenario. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, hey, you know, look, I mean, I, you know, I've said all along, I think that's fine. I mean, you'll ultimately, you ultimately probably want to move away from that, but that's a, that's a ways off. But that's if it a has any off. success. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You get your first version out and, you know, you could even have a company that's making money and uh, maybe making a decent amount of money with, you know, a, a SQL based dispatching system. Um, before you want to do something else. I mean, not that Node is the only answer. I mean, there are different ways of doing it. Um, that was just the way that I thought would be the easiest way to get something up that was more responsive and uh, scalable than what we were doing. Um, you know, I'm sure you could, there's 10 different ways you could do it. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, I think it's fine. I'm all, I'm all about, like, you know, get the simplest thing up that'll work and use the tools that you know. I mean... That's that's all that's important right now. You know, it's not a competition on who can use the most in innovative technologies. Basically, every every part of it that I, you know, as I've built it out so far, has just been around doing that. Just putting in all the lessons that we've learned through all the great people that we've spoken to, whittling down the the problem, finding something interesting, finding something that seems a bit silly that other people probably wouldn't consider. Um, and I guess the only piece the only piece that's a bit daunting is that. Um, I suppose there's a lot of you know other people in a, in a similar kind of space, but it does feel like quite a large space. So and I don't mind if it's you know I, I don't mind if it's uh, kind of something a lot smaller than some of the competition. Well, I mean you have no choice because you're going to be smaller because Postmates and stuff like that. Right. I mean they yeah. use tons of money and um yeah. you know you, you might be able to carve out a little niche for yourself and you know it, it wouldn't take much. To have a a home run for you in in right. in this kind of space. I mean, you know, if 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 something, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but you you would even be a blip on their screen, and you could be like doing victory laps for years, going, ah, right, you know? right. <laughs> you know, if you, right. So yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's we'll see. But anyway, uh, I, I want to ask you a little bit more. So so I I think we may have talked a little bit of or we've talked around it that uh, your use of titanium. For the project, yeah, please let's get, let's get into that, yeah. And I think it's a fun topic because obviously I've been a proponent of it for years, um, and you know I've just felt that it's not only can you build say an iPhone app much more quickly than you than you could by building it with the native tool set, um, or build an Android app more quickly on the native tool set, but if you're especially if you're building two, building for both platforms, it's just way easier. So I'm, you know, I've I have not I've not uh I've never built a native iPhone app, but I'm guessing just from the way I've heard that you're probably looking from a three to five X speed up in terms of how quickly how much time it would take you. So, you know, what what might take you uh I don't know, you know, five months might take you a month or two with titanium. And if you're building for both platforms, it might take you a year, might take you, you know, three months or something to build it for both platforms in titanium. If you're, you know, cause you see a lot of companies come out and they'll spend a lot of time working on either the Android or iPhone app. And they, they just try and get that right. And then they build hire another developer or team of developers. And then they have to spend another six or nine months getting that other one built out. But with titanium, you can kind of build them both at the same time, which is what the titanium documentation suggests is just like the old days when we would build, for Netscape and IE, you, you wouldn't build for IE and then go back and start over and build for Netscape. It was just too painful. It was much more easy to just uh, start building it, write, write 10 lines of code, then test it on two or three or four browsers, and then go to your next step. 
So I'd like to hear a little bit about your, 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 just your thoughts and what you've learned and what you like, what you don't like or whatever. Well, I had originally thought of doing it that way. And, um, in the beginning I kind of built a, doing I, it which I way? Kind of, but basically both of them at, you know, the titanium, sorry, the, uh, Android and iPhone at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of what I was thinking along at the beginning. Those are the lines I was thinking. And, um, I kind of created a little framework within titanium mm-hmm. um, to, to just to do some basic stuff. So for example, to open a screen, to transition from one screen to another screen, just basic abstraction libraries to do those basic things and to like, to put a paragraph on the page or to put a text box on the page. So I spent kind of the first couple of weeks doing that and getting them to both work in, in an Android and, um, and iPhone. And then I started getting into some of the mapping stuff um, and it's kind of like different map libraries. And it, I just kind of went with iPhone. <laughs> I like, it wasn't so much like a conscious thought. It was just like, Oh, this is just, I'm, I'm just working on this. And then I spent a long time working on some of that dispatch related stuff. And then I just kind of forgot about the Android side of things. So I went through, um, you know, basically running this as a side project since kind of February and, it wasn't until maybe a month ago that I had another look at the Android side of things. How, you know, how, how was this looking? And right. generally it was, it was kind of working okay, except for it was missing map libraries and map, and it's going to be a little bit complex. And I realized that it was going to probably take me another two weeks to bring it back up to spec so that they both worked. Right. So what it did was I made a pragmatic decision to just go, you know what? I'm, my goal is to get this released in the app store, you know? And then once it's out there, then I'll get back to Android because the thing about Android is it doesn't have this two week lag. You know, you can just push it out to the to Google Play on the day that you submit it. At the very least, though, you spent a fair amount of time building it for both, so you're very familiar with with how to do it, how to test. Oh yeah, how to deploy, yeah. How, what the differences are, how you have to deal with a different. Well, I guess you have to deal with different size screens now with the iPhone as well. But you just you you you. You probably got what seventy or eighty percent of it built for Android. I think so in in the first couple of weeks, and and really, I just I almost thought about that as if it was just an HTML JavaScript app, you know, and just just what what would the the minimum things that you would want with HTML JavaScript? Well, you would want lists, you would want transitions, you would want text. Uh, but I must say the one the one kind of difficult thing about Titanium is um, unless you're using HTML. <laughs> an HTML view. It's kind of hard to lay stuff out the way that you really want it to be. You know, for mm-hmm. example, even even putting a bold word in the middle of a sentence is basically not really possible. Right. Yeah, that is annoying. That is one of the most annoying things I found is not being able to ha- not having sort of rich text. I mean, I think I think there might be a module that you can buy that supports that in the uh, Titanium. Oh, interesting. So, which isn't mm-hmm. HTML, or, or it is HTML. I don't remember. It's like maybe a rich text component or something. You know, instead of a, you know, instead of like you using a label or whatever uh, component, it'd be some kind of like rich text or rich label or I don't know something. I I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Um, I'm because I ran into the same problem. And I was annoyed to no end that I could, that you couldn't do something as simple as that. And but I think it, like, you like had to buy it for like thirty bucks or something. And I was like, ah, screw it at the time. So um, just look around. You you probably something like that because we're certainly not the first two people to run into that problem. And I'm sure other people have and who are sort of native, uh, you know, also native iPhone developers. And they're like, oh, I built that component and 
you know, two days. So now I wouldn't say that it looks native. Um, really? Well, I mean, do you think it looks native? I mean, it just, it feels native, but I mean, it doesn't, because for example, I just used my own buttons, just a square. Well, 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 okay, well, okay, let's, let's, so all of the premium apps that you see, and okay, when I say all, I mean, you know, virtually all, like if you're looking at whether it's Quora or Uber or Google, whatever, I mean, none of them look like Apple's apps. They all kind of have their own custom look, right? Yeah, yeah. But, um, and they do it, that so that so that it's easier to develop cross platform. Uh maybe. I mean that might be a benefit, but also maybe just because they want to make it look really, really good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, okay. And okay. really slick looking apps, you know, have their own custom look. I mean, that's just sort of what a first tier apps do. If it has if it uses a bunch of, you know, sort of default looking buttons and stuff, it looks really, you know, amateur, right? So, yes. I mean, now it just has that effect. I mean, it may be it may be just because we're conditioned because you go, oh, this is what first apps, first tier apps look like. Therefore, if it doesn't look like it, that it's crap. <laughs> you know, so it, it ends up maybe just sort of being a self fulfilling, uh, you know, or prop. Yeah, the, the funny thing is, is that like you also see apps that don't use default buttons that look absolutely terrible. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I, I find that most titanium apps that I look at are not well designed. Like the, the the color, you know, they use strange colors in the buttons. Like they'll do yellow buttons or something. Well, um, what's well, what's the the term? Like ninety percent of everything is crap. You know, <laughs> is it that is. like an official quote? I don't know who said it, but it's true. I mean, you know, anything you go like ninety percent of everything out there is crap. It's like you know you're gonna because you know it's first of all you're talking you know bell curve in terms of mediocrity. Most people aren't gonna put much time into it. Most people don't have design sense. Most people don't care. Most people whatever, right? And then you get all the way up to the right end of the distribution and then you have the people who have the design sense or have the money to hire people to design sense and care and put the money in this and this just you know it's just a difference and so yeah you're going to expect but 90 percent of, of apps have built with anything whether they're native or javascript or titanium or what are gonna look like crap that's just mm-hmm. human that's just a result of human activity <laughs> but um i think that uh the, the, what I was really pointing out is, though, is that if you build an app with like PhoneGap or one of these things, it looks, it doesn't take long for you to realize it's a web app. The way the keyboard looks, the, the way the refreshing, yeah. everything, it's just like, eh, you know, you might go, oh, this is pretty good. I mean, they did a decent job at it, but you can tell. And it doesn't have the same kind of quality of feel. I mean, it's just, just but Titanium, well, you have no, you would have no indication because it because the titanium compiles down to using native components native stuff so well not exactly that's not exactly how it works did you know that well it depends on what you're talking i mean i i my understanding what i've read is that it has like a javascript interpreter layer in there but it uses the titanium i mean it's it's compiled it it, it, it ultimately compiled as a you know um, so, so the way that it works is basically there is it uses a javascript bridge yeah. Um, and basically, when you put a you know a view on the page, that's kind of translated from JavaScript through to, I guess, a component that they use over and over again, kind of thing. Like, so they'll have a square, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever. But um, there still is that kind of JavaScript bridge yeah. thing. Yeah, rather that's than fine. The native, but it's not yeah. sitting inside a web view or something. No, 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 no. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I understand that, but. Um... You know, that's sort of, that's not a big deal, I don't think. I mean, you're basically converting sort of business logic. From job, run your JavaScript is sort of in, the, in a business logic layer, but all the, you know, heavy-duty UI one stuff. Of the things, 
you say that it looks really nice and I really appreciate that. And it's kind of funny because I really didn't do huge amounts of design work. I think, I think part of the thing that makes it look nice is you just have to not do dumb stuff because it's such a small screen mobile versus the desktop. So just don't do dumb stuff in a small space and it's going to probably look quite nice. <laughs> you know uh, what I, mean? I don't think that's true. It's a lot more than not doing dumb stuff. Yeah. Don't do dumb stuff, but there's a lot of, I mean, you did a nice job with the fonts and the colors, that kind of stuff, obviously, but you did a nice stuff with transitions and there are a lot of UI, um, you know, yeah, playing that you've done that are, I mean, subtle things that are like, Oh, that's like a kind of thing that a, that a pro app is going to do. Like if there's uh, one of the things I did was like, if there's an error, let's say you don't enter your password or whatever you press submit. And then it just, it basically does a pulse of that field kind of turning it to 150%. Exactly. Size. I mean, give me a break. Like that's not about not doing something dumb. That took a lot of thought to be like, how do I want it to work and how do I pull this off and how should it look and what should, how, how, how much, how much bounce should there be and how big should the arrow look like and how far should it bounce? I mean, you know, give me a break. No, no, that, that's, it's true for that second. So, so that, just from a design, like, hey, design perspective. Modesty, just accept the praise. Need <laughs> <laughs> the audience and think, oh, as long as I don't do something that's not really stupid, it'll look like it was designed by a $200 an hour UI design. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but anyway, you, yeah, you see, but I, people can log in themselves and take their head and form their own opinion, but I, th- I think you did a nice job. I mean, I mean, you can see you can see the design in the app store. So even whether, you know, whether you, the app works or not, which it probably won't, you can see from from the scrolling through the pages in the app store, you can get a general sense of the look and feel. And, and you, one thing one thing that was really interesting about this was this isn't design related, but I, it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Like I've kind of built the consumer. I was I had all this zeal to build the consumer app, and then I kind of realized at the end, oh crap! Now I've got to build something for the the couriers. Yep. Y- you know, and it's like oh, and I just I don't know. I never had given any thought to that ever. Like, and it was it was really surprisingly difficult to think about a UI and a thing that I wasn't going to personally use that I wasn't particularly hugely interested in, but just was really important to the app. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was an interesting experience to have to go through and mock that up and think through that. Yeah. Well, and you also got to build some kind of way of, of, of uh, something equivalent to a God view or something. You have to have a I way. Know, you've mentioned this. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how you can do this. You have all these drivers around and people calling up and say, Oh, there's a problem or this thing get delivered or I can't find the person's house or, you know, or where they're standing. You know, it's like, you can't see that stuff. You can't problem solve and you're going to have all kind of headaches, you know, it doesn't have to be it's super slick, but you need some way of uh, to be able to get a real time, geographical view of where your drivers are and where your clients are and what state the trip, the sort of trips are in and all that sort of stuff, you know, that's, you know, but you know, you'll find that out pretty quick if you don't have it, that you need it. Driver. What's that? Driver, not drivers. Oh, your driver, right? (laughs) So, I mean, it's going to be starting off really small. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so one thing I think I should clarify at this point too is obviously I have no relationship to this venture, this endeavor. I'm not, a, you know, other than just being your podcast co-host and a friend. So, <laughs> you know, I, you know, obviously this is sort of in Uber's world, um, where he is doing delivery of food, and I don't know if they'll ever deliver stuff light fare like this or not. But I tried to wave you off. I just said, look, I don't have. 
any inside information about what Uber's plans are in this world. But I'm just saying you could get run over like a gnat, like an ant. So be careful. I know. And that is something very similar to the Plugio scenario because it was Plugio versus Hootsuite and it was me working on it a couple of hours every few days. And, you know, Hootsuite with their like 21 million funding. Yeah, so, so Hootsuite it, it, is a, is a, it is a replay of that in a sense. So Hootsuite is about a hundred times smaller than Uber. <laughs> I know. Oh. Yeah, I know. I mean, it is, so you're you're you you're go, rather going off against a going against a Goliath. You're going against a Titan, you know. And I, I you know, and I obviously also I also Titans don't notice gnats. I, that's like, what I mean. Yeah, they're not even going to notice you. But I'm just saying that um, that. Yeah, I just kind of wrote a replay, a little, just a snippet of a conversation we had. I don't know. I think this was back in around February when you were, on, yeah. you were thinking about doing this. And I said, you know what? This space is really, really competitive. There, yeah. Everybody wants to be the Uber of something. That's the new thing, right? Or the Uber of this or the Uber of that. And so even if Uber doesn't do it, there could you could end up having five funded competitors that are going to triangulate on this area if there's any money there. So just you know, really think hard if you want that to be in that competitive space because it may not be real comfortable. And you were like, no, I really just want to do it. I really, I love the idea. I just feel like I have to do it. I feel like if I execute, then there'll be a space for me. And who knows, maybe I'll get bought up by one of these other companies. And I said, all right, well, that's fine. But I just wanted to tell you, like, I feel like your friend, like, you know, just understand the world that you're playing in. You know, you're not competing against Hootsuite. You're competing against the absolute titans of the tech world now. But, but, but not, not only that, I'm competing as a side project and kind of just something small and bootstrapped. Yeah. So yeah. that's, you know, yeah, yeah. That, that's so, kind of the so, interesting point. So I just want to say if, if anyone's like, hey, there feels like there's like there might potentially be a conflict of interest. You know, I, I you know, I don't know if Uber is doing anything in this area. I mean, obviously, they're doing Uber Eats, which is a different thing. Um and uh, I don't know anything plans to do anything like this. And but if they do, um, you know, obviously it could get ugly for Justin. <laughs> and I warned him. <laughs> so well, well, that's, uh, that's only sort of ugly my in the sense that I've wasted time. What's that? Only ugly in the sense that I've wasted some time. Oh yeah, I mean you waste some time, and you'll, you know, I mean that's like why spend time on something that you have a good chance you have there's a good chance it's not going to work for things that are outside of your control versus something you might feel like you have no control over. now i'm you know and i'm not saying this isn't going to work or anything like that i just i just felt like you know i needed to warn you about it I, you know um that uh, you know at least in terms of uber i mean they don't tend to buy companies they just you know they just crush them they're not going to buy you for 20 million dollars and just to be nice they'll just they won't be able, they'll just, they're not even going to, they're not even going to acknowledge that you even exist. So they won't care. Um, but, you know, the thing is that, you know, Uber or even something who, that's a, who's a, who's a gnat, like Postmates is a gnat compared to Uber, right? And Postmates is a, is a virtual Goliath to you. So you don't need to worry about Uber. You need to worry about Postmates. Right. Well, exactly. I mean, Postmates. It's it's a it's a worse scenario with Postmates than it was with uh, Plugio and Hootsuite because Postmates have had fifty eight million funding, and um, Hootsuite I think it had just like twenty or something. So you well, know, it's the it's, same magnitude, but you know it's just it's just a matter of, I mean, what it comes down to Postmates is it matters like where they're launching. Like you know they couldn't 
Pasadena might be something they're not going to launch into for years. You know, who knows? Maybe they're preoccupied with maybe that they find that at least for their scale of company, it's more profitable to focus on different types of food. You know, I mean, see, the thing is that. Well, they, they, they signed a deal with Starbucks. They're going to be distributing Starbucks. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think I read that and that's, I was like, Oh, that's not great news. <laughs> for, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why this looks like a really dumb thing to do, but Hey, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm doing it more for fun than anything. <laughs> you know, I'm, well, I, like, no, it's I, just as much of it is, is the fun aspect, just exploring it, exploring the space as it is, you know, being the great kind of entrepreneur kind of guy. Well, I mean, I don't think that's entirely true in our conversations. You're pretty excited about this as a business, right? I'm excited, but like based on the based on the reality, it seems it seems not <laughs> not the easiest thing to do. Yeah, well, so. I mean, I think it's I think it's healthy for you to put your put your expectations there. You know, it's like they say, it's like hope for the best, prepare for the worst. <laughs> you know, it's like like yeah, hey, hopefully this will work out and. You know, within six months, you have 10 drivers driving around and, you you know, you're having hundreds of orders a day and, you know, it's coming up. It's kind of, it's a nice little thing and, you know, or maybe it's even bigger than that. And then at that point, after six months, then you can go raise, you know, half a million to a million in funding and, you know, kind of go to the next step and, um, you know, maybe that'll all work. That would be, that would be great. You know, I think that'd be great for you. Hopefully that'll work. Cause, you know, you, but even then you're still kind of not even on the radar of Postmates. You know, they wouldn't even notice you really. So, and you might be able to, you know, I don't know whether it depends on whether you take money or of professional money or you just take some like, you know, seed money, you know, you could end up having a nice lifestyle business, the worst case, right? Something that generates. Exactly. You no, know, I mean, or maybe more than a lifestyle business. You have something that generates hundreds of thousands or a couple million a year and you, you're in LA and you do your thing and nobody really notices you. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe there is sort of a mid, mid-level success not a not a not a binary success although i think it leans towards binary i think it leans towards either you really just either a it, it fails because people the, the business itself just doesn't work in the sense that like people aren't just not willing to pay um a delivery charge for things like coffee and stuff you know i mean we that's just not proven out yet low ticket yeah low ticket stuff i just don't know that's that's been my skepticism all along that's when i said you know I know you'll execute the technology. I have no doubt about that. And you'll execute well. I just don't, I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced one way or the other. I just like, wow, jury's out for me. I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know if I'd pay for it, but then that's me because I make coffee at home. I'm not, you know, but there's a ton of people though who have to have their daily fix and, you know, of coffee and scones and all that kind of stuff. And those same people are, you know, kind of people who pay. Well, just, just as a point of reference, like, there's been a few people who've tried to do it and they've kind of just failed. Um, I don't know the names right now. I can't remember the name. There's one bicycle coffee delivery company thing Mm -hmm. um, in San Francisco. And they really, they, they got some press, but then they just kind of went, no, um, and some, uh, another one that I can't think right now, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Coffee once again does seem kind of like. Well, see, the, the one thing it. that you didn't do, which you said you learned stuff. The one thing you didn't do is you didn't do, um, uh, you didn't really go out and do your market research, your um, before building the tech. You know what? I, I I I didn't. But what I will say is that basically, Postmates have fifty eight million funding and they do this. So they that's do slightly. My, they deliver slightly different things, right? No, no, they deliver. I mean, they 
they've signed a deal with Starbucks. They're going to deliver just Starbucks. Signed, that's not what they've been doing before. No, no, they have. They they deliver Starbucks. Yeah. But I thought before this, that was delivering other stuff as more expensive orders. No, they they started they started um, just delivering anything, being a bike bike courier company, and then they ended up focusing around food, and it's just whatever food in your city that you want. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. So it's like the deal they started with Starbucks was just like announced like a week ago. Uh, yeah, not not more than a right, week. So ago, I mean, that that hasn't even proved to be a success for them. That's true. It hasn't proven to be a success for them. It's just because but, they raise but, money and then they go out and try a bunch of stuff doesn't have doesn't really indicate that it's going to work. It's just they think it might work, and they have, now that they have money, they're going to run an experiment and see. People definitely do order Starbucks through Postmates. I mean, I know that for a fact. Yeah, but I mean, it's, yeah, okay. Well, we'll see. Anyway, I, that's the only thing I just felt like. And yeah, I'll tell you something else interesting. I believe that the, the smallest price that you can pay for that delivery is seven ninety nine. Before you bought, you know, before any Starbucks is included, right, right. I think so. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, so that's you know, that's uh, right. just some more interesting. Ones. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be like you know, probably just like Plugio, just some slow little interesting information dripping through as I kind of tinker with it, and um, yeah, we'll just see how it goes. So, uh, anything else going on? Uh, that that's not enough for you. So. Anyway, it's your right. turn. What are you talking about? That's a lot for you. Yeah, yeah, go on. So go on. You you go. What what you got? Um. Well, actually, I have some pretty um uh big news. Um. Ooh. So I think the last time we talked, the last time we recorded the show, I mentioned that um the superintendent for the school system came and watched our last math class, and brought in a director and then a coordinator for innovation. Uh, programs within the district and that they were all really impressed and excited about what we did. Did, did you remember that? I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, the, 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 the lady who's in charge of the innovation programs, um, she, she, after, after we spoke that day, she, she said, well, let's meet in a couple of weeks. Cause she's like, I want to try and get a little better insight into like the DNA of this thing. I mean, why is this, what made this work so well? And because the superintendent, while he was there watching the class, he and the, and this director that he brought along were sort of brainstorming about the idea about the possibility of, of setting up, uh, up some pilot programs that were modeled off this class. So they were like, maybe we could get like, you know, three, three classes going in different schools, all following this model. Yeah. But the big question is, is, is it Jason? That's the, right. that's the special, yeah. Well, that's one thing. So, so, the, so the, the, the lady's name who's um, in charge of the innovation programs for the district, her, her name is uh, Hootie. And she said, she, she was like, you know, because she went around and she asked each of the kids why they liked the class so much. And they were all, you know, they were all, you know, enthusiastic and giddy, partially because I think they were just having their pizza party and they were pretty darn good mood. But <laughs> they were like, you know, oh, at first them were just being silly. It's like, oh, we like the pizza. We like the Jolly Ranchers. But then they, after they stopped being silly, they were like, well, they just liked, you know, they liked the challenge. They liked learning advanced math. They like working with smart kids. They liked it. It was like a, a sport for the brain, all those kinds of things. But a couple of them said it really came down to that they really liked us and they liked that we we really cared about them and spent work really worked with them and wanted them to succeed and that we were like more like coaches and teachers. So after hearing that, I think she was like, okay, well, she's like this. She's like, what I'm hearing is just, is great. 
But uh, my concern is that the success is really predicated on what you two bring. The yeah. class. And she's, I worry that what that would mean is that it would be very hard to replicate. You know, there may not be people who can do what you do or, or you know, or been, what you've been doing. And I don't remember what I said at the time, but I mean, it was kind of hectic at the last minute the kids are leaving. And I think I may, if, if I either thought this or said this, but I, I, you know, my, my opinion is that, well, you know, there are probably a lot of things that I did that I can do that made this come into existence that I don't think many people would be able to. I don't think many people would be able to hijack a math field day class and turn it into, <laughs> you know, or hijack a math field day practice and, and turn it in fourth grade and turn it to this big thing. But once, but I do feel like that once you kind of have the framework in the place and you really have a real, uh, a clear idea of how to run the class and the curriculum and how to do it, and it's all just there. I don't think it takes, um, a, a special type of person. I mean, I think there are people who will be better at than other people. I think it takes people who really like math and are sort of like, you know, your camp counselor, coaches, people who are kind of high energy and sort of engaging and helpful and, you know, challenging those type of people. Right. I mean, yeah, if you have a, if you have a very disengaged instructor or teacher who doesn't know math and doesn't care and isn't very, has no charisma and is not entertaining to listen to, then it's going to suck. But that's true with it in any, in, in almost any situation. But, you know, you get people who, who, you know, I think are just kind of have, have some sense of fun about them, you know, and, and optimism and, and, and everything like that and can communicate. I think those people can, I think those people can do it. Um, so, so let's fast forward. Um, uh, to, uh, so, you know, this is like on, this is Monday of last, of this past week. I, uh, Sandy and I went and met with her, with Hootie and we had a, you know, pretty long meeting. I don't know. It was an hour and a half, two hours or something. And, <clears throat> you know, the, it started out really, you know, pretty exciting. I mean, she's very, Hootie's very friendly and she's very smart and she understands how the system works and she's, she's trying to get her head around, you know, how do we make something like this come into reality? And she's, she's trying to balance out, you know, budgetary constraints, bureaucratic constraints, logistical constraints, you know, you name it with, you know, what we want, what we're trying to achieve. And over the course of the conversation, it started to kind of transform from this aggressive, ambitious, you know, revolutionary type of accelerated program to a series of more exposure oriented classes. Like let's expose kids to, robots or let's expose kids to, you know, more challenging math. You know, it's like you, it's like, it's not this ongoing thing that you're building on. It's just very, it's much more limited in scope. And I understood that when she started going through our challenges and the people or that, you know, that we're going to have to satisfy the stakeholders, whether they're teachers or administrators or principals or district or fund, you know, all these kinds of things. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's challenging, right? It's really challenging. People wonder, people wonder, like, why is it, why is it so difficult? Why can't we fix our schools or make our schools better? Because you hear this, there's always this, you know, continual drumbeat in the press about, you know, how, you know, poorly functioning our schools are, or at least how, you know, they're not nearly as good as they could be. And why can't we fix them? And, all, and people point the fingers at all kind of, in all kind of different directions about why we can't fix them. But, 
you know, in part it's because they're just big giant bureaucracies with lots of yeah interests. And it's just it, it, things change happens at a glacial pace. And I don't know. So I was I kind of came out of it. and I was like, well, you know, I get what she's saying, you know, and she's trying to help us. But she's also trying to make something happen, you know, with given given the limitations. And uh, my attitude after walking out, I was like, well, you know, at least if we can run our class, I'll be happy. If we can create some kind of lasting impact, which is something Sandy keeps, you know, sort of reiterating. I mean, she, she, she would really be happy. You know, I, I, do, I would too, too. And that's been my vision as a as sort of a reach goal. But it's like, it'd be great if we could have an, a lasting impact beyond just, you know, a dozen kids or something. I was like, but... You know, if we can't, if we're unable to achieve that, and at the very least we kick off some some fun, you know, exposure-oriented classes, I guess, I mean, that's, I guess, we can, you know, that's what we'll have to settle for. You know, and I'll, and I'll help out in any way I can, but we just sort of, yeah. it was a little depressing. You know, it's just like, well, it was just kind of a, you know, just a stark reminder of the, of the challenge of reality sometimes. So then, <clears throat> that was on Monday, and then Tuesday, there was the annual of a meeting for the Passing the Education Foundation, or PEF. The PEF is a nonprofit organization that, that raises millions of dollars for the Pasadena School District. And they set up all kinds of different cool programs. They have a cool the summer program, the summer school program that's a five-week sort of enrichment program that my kids are participating in. It's just you know, at all the different schools. And they have a little robotics program and different app academy and all these, all these really awesome things are a result of PEF and what they can, what they can inject in terms of um, financing and expertise um, and program design into the school system. So cool, Sandy yeah. is on the board of, P, of the PEF and she's also the, um, she also is the chair of the gala that, that their yearly big fundraising event. So she has a pretty high profile within the organization. Nice. So she goes to this annual event and she comes back and she's like, Hey, and she's like, you know, I just had, uh, a, a long conversation with uh, Dr. McDonald, the superintendent of the school district, and he really wants to go big with this thing. He wants to take the lid off it and, and see how far we can push this thing. He wants, he's really interested in seeing what kind of curriculum we could design for the high school once they're beyond calculus, because we're going to be done with calculus in middle school. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Because it's very different to the other lady. Well, you know, she's operating within the system, right? Like, you know, she's she's trying to make she's in charge of all these different programs within the school, whether they're for English as a second language, you know, ESL or or kids who are struggling in one way or another or, you know, handicapped learners or you're talking about gate and gifted and rich and programs. She has to do all this stuff. So she has to like how the hell do I get all these different programs in these different schools, you know, work within schedules and obligations and financing and, you know, state mandates and, you know, it's complicated, right? It's a giant jigsaw puzzle. So she's just trying to make it happen, right? It's easy at the top. It's like, I want this to exist. And it's another thing to like make it a reality, right? It's a different, it's not so easy. And, um, so I was like, all right, we, we had, um, we had scheduled a follow-up meeting for the next day, for Wednesday. And so I'm sitting there and I, and I was like, you know what? We, 
we really need to push. I was like, you know, there's an opportunity to really go big. I mean, I feel like if you really go big, it's scary, right? Like, what are these kids learning in high school if they're going way beyond calculus? I mean, that sounds scary. I mean, that is so out of the box that it almost kind of scares people, you know? And um, I was like, but... It's like, it's like dunking. Yeah, dumping. It's just crazy. Like, people just like, it doesn't seem possible. It's seem real. What are you talking about? This is just, they can't possibly. I mean, it just, it sounds crazy. But at the same time, it's just, because it's so bold, it's inspiring. It, 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 it makes people, it inspires people. They get really excited. So when I, t- when I'll talk to people who are sort of, you know, the, you know, other people who have technology backgrounds and math, science kind of backgrounds and all this stuff, and they just, their eyes, really wide they're like that is awesome man i wish i had had something like that or i wish my kids could do something like that or you know they're just blown away and i'm like that's the reaction you get from people and when you get that kind of reaction that's what that's what you call purple cow right people talk about it people want to write about it it'd be easy to get press it'd be easy to get grants and funding because you're doing something that's truly innovative not just innovative in the name it's truly groundbreaking and you know that it's groundbreaking because it scares the crap out of people because they think it shouldn't be possible and they start just you know coming with all kind of like ah, what what are you doing you know it's just they don't even know how to respond to that right i say but that's what that's yeah. why you want to do it um because we can create this positive feedback loop where you know, we get something going like this. We can show some success. We've gone so over the top that it's going to get written up in the press. And you'll probably be easy to get a lot of big press from the national press, which means it would be really that much easier to raise lots of funding and then to spread the program, not just within the district, but outside the district and within you know the city or the, across the country, Right. Now, if you just say, oh, we have an innovative program where we, we do have a little robotics class or we have a, you know, Chinese Mandarin immersion class or we have this entrepreneurial class, you know, they're, they're cute, right? Those are cute. People write about those things, but it's not things you really remember sticky because it's, those things happen all the time, right? What happened on the second meeting? Yeah, so we walked in and it was funny. She kind of had a little bit of a smile on her face. And I will, and we did a little bit of small talk at first and, and she had this little smile on her face and I was like, why is she smiling? <laughs> you know, she seemed like she was, it was a completely different mood. I mean, not that she was in a bad mood, but she was in particularly like, there's a, there's a like a, just a look of amusement on her face. And I, and so I kind of went to the back and I said, look, Sandy had a meeting with Dr. McDonald and I kind of reiterated how, what he really wanted to achieve. And I said, look, I think we have an opportunity here. We have his backing. He wants to go big. And I think if we if we go if we're bold and we go big and we don't water it down and we just not worry about the negative case, like, well, what if this and what if that? Like, let's we'll worry about that later. Let's just try and make this happen and go big. I think all these positive things have come out of it. Just like I went through with you. I said, you know, that so I went through the whole thing. And she kind of nodded. And one of the things she said, she's like, Oh, I know. And she I I referenced something. She's like, Oh, I know. I'm like, well, how do you know? She's like, Oh, I listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah I listened to your last podcast," and I'm like, "Oh wow! How how did you find them? How did you know I did a podcast?" And I guess we had I had mentioned briefly about teaching kids to code at one point in Catalyst, just just like in past, just a reference, an example of something. And um, she goes, 
And then, oh, she's like, you teach people, you teach kids to code. I'm like, well, I did. But I said, but I stopped because of folks in the math program. I said, but a buddy of mine started a company where we're just doing that. And I put some money to that. So, yes, I'm still involved with that. Although I personally don't do it day to day. And she's like, oh, wow. What, will they do programs for schools? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh, because I want to try and get something going. Can I, can I talk to him? I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I gave her the name. I said, just it's called MV Code Club. You can look it online and I'll, I'll give an intro to Doug and you can talk to him about it and see if that's something that would work within the district. And that was it, right? And so she looked up MV Code Club and I guess doing a search on Google, uh, you know, because I've, you know, we've talked about the show and I've listed it in the show description, the show uh, came up in, in a Google search. So she listened to it. And when listening to the show, I don't think she listened to the whole thing, but she listened, but we started talking about the math uh, class right out of the gate. And she saw not only my enthusiasm, but I think she was reading through the comments and maybe she looked back at previous content comments and she, um, she saw how people were responding to this idea of this accelerated <laughs> math class. And she's like, huh. She said, well, people were responding like this. If it makes this much of a splash, maybe we really need to think hard about making this happen. Maybe there really is some. So she, she had kind of already kind of cued in on that. Um, before this conversation. Oh. Then when I started saying, like, let's go big, we have up to the superintendent is he's telling us to go big, like screw the negative case. Like, let's not worry about, <laughs> you know, this group being upset or these people having their feelings hurt. Like, we'll, we'll try and do we'll try and make people feel good about it and we'll try and do things as differently as we could, but let's let's push. Like let's make it happen. I think we have a chance. Let's go big. Let's go bold, you know? And and she was like, <laughs> all right. And she's like, let's do it. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> she was all totally on board. So I was like, okay. <laughs> you were like, okay. Uh, I guess you you were probably still trying to convince her, but she was she was going, no, no, you already convinced she me. She was just kind of nodding and smiling at me. She, I think she, sort of an amusement, you know, like she was in agreement. But I think she's a, I think she's somewhat amused by me because I'm so over the top passionate about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you probably listen to the show and she's like okay there's no stopping this guy i get it this guy's yeah so we got this we got this sort of crazed entrepreneur who has this vision and he's just not gonna stop and he's just like okay well <laughs> you know i think so so now we're kind of like partners in crime on this like we're scheming so i'm in their office i for the next this was yesterday i think was it yesterday um, yeah, I go, I, I came with a bunch, I had a bunch more thoughts with Sandy and I were talking about some things. And one thing Sandy is great at, I mean, is she's just amazing with logistics. Like she can just anticipate problems ahead of time. Like, oh, that's going to be a problem. or This is going to be a problem. Um, you know, cause she's, you know, her sort of specialty is, is this is operations and also like, especially like setting up, managing huge events, which is just one big logistics problem. Right. Anything can go wrong. Everything, all the timing has to be just right for everything to go well. And, you know, that's what she sort of, she loves to do and then prides herself on. So she started talking about it and she's like, well, she said a couple of things. She's like, I think you want to mat limit the class size to 20 because you don't want too many kids because you can't really do this sort of flipped classroom active learning model that we did with that. And she's like, I also think you need two instructors. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. And initially we're talking about doing I'll get more into this in a minute, but merging the fourth and fifth grade classes for the first year. And she's like, I just think that's a bad idea because then what happens when the fifth graders in sixth grade, and the fourth, they're at the same level, but then there are different schedules and this is going to create all kinds of complications. So we were kind of going through all this. And so I came a whole list of like sort of thoughts that I had. And uh, I asked her if I could just stop by because their office is like literally like two blocks down the street. Um, it's across the street from our kids' school. So I just pop in there and I'm like, okay, um, 
like I got, okay, I have some things I want to just run by you. And uh, as I go, I, first of all, I think I have a good name. I think I, because we were talking about, like, we call it. Of math. course you do. Of course. <laughs> I was like, should we call it math club or math? And I said, I, she, I think we should call it math academy. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's kind of, it's generic, but it's kind of nice. It has a good ring to it. It just sounds kind of serious and cool because team is too, we're not just about competitions and club just sounds like we're going to get together and do a puzzle or something, you know, math Academy sounds big. And she's like, yeah, she, she kind of nods. She's like, I like it. Sounds good. And so then I went down a list of other, the other issues that we were, we were thinking about. And she's like, she's like, so I'm going to be seeing a lot of you, I guess. Right. <laughs> she's like, should <laughs> I go ahead and give you that desk right there? She's like this little tiny desk room. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you're going to see a lot of me. I'm guessing. I was like, you know, one thing she asked, because I was talking about how I was going to, you know, organize the curriculum or different things. And she's like, well, I need, how can I keep up with all this? Or how are we going to, I like, trust me, you'll be getting a lot of communication from me. You'll, you'll have complete access to everything, both through the web and email. <laughs> that get, not under communication is not usually a problem I suffer from. <laughs> well, that is big news. So, so just clarify for me, does that mean it's really happening and what, what, content i mean like is it rolling out in all schools or is it rolling out in one school i mean yeah what's 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 going to be happening i mean what what is it so the 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 one thing she she said she's like so what i'm going to do is i'm going to do a pitch to the principals of these different schools i think it's like 18 middle schools elementary schools or something like that she's like something like that she's like she thinks that there'll be about eight that are almost guaranteed to want it. She's like, so write up one page pitch explaining what this program is. And then we'll invite in any principals that bite on this, we'll invite them for like an information session and you can just sell them on it. You know, so your math class could class could potentially be rolled out to 18 schools. Uh, probably more like uh, she says that eight is probably her estimate, but I'm so let's say half a dozen to a dozen. I'm going to say more because People, the, you know, the reaction that this gets gets. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just trying not to be too ahead of myself. But you know, now I'm guessing if, if I'd be really happy if we had eight or ten. That would be amazing if we had eight to ten schools going all at the same time, both fourth and fifth grades. So two, so two grades in ten school. That's going to be incredible if you, if you pull that off. And so she had a really good idea. She's like, she's like, we because we're talking about teachers. Do we a full time teacher? Trying who, who's going to teach us? She's like. I mean, this was a, I've said this to her, that was, this was a stroke of genius that, I mean, maybe in retrospect, one of us would have thought anyway, but I, I loved it. She's like, we should get Caltech students to teach it. Oh, wow. I'm like, you're right. Because Caltech is only two blocks away. I mean, the kids, the Caltech, or three blocks, I mean, Caltech, a Caltech student could walk across to McKinley, or I guess McKinley is, but these other schools are in the district. I mean, they're not far. And so if you could get two Caltech students per class, they... It would be amazing. They right? would love to teach it. They'd have all the passion that you wanted. They yep. would be, they'd still be close to it. Yeah, it's perfect. And it really, and I don't think having a couple of Caltech students running some flipped classroom, accelerated laugh uh, for some gifted math students is going to be threatening to teachers. Oh, no. They're not really paid. They're not going to be paid very much money. You know, I think we're going to pay them like $18 an hour or something, which is like what's in the budget. I mean, that's sort of like, like that's the set amount that can be paid for, you know outside you've even got budget approval for this thing yeah well she is her budget so that's her budget you got a budget for this so so it's and because it's only like in these classes these fourth and fifth grade classes will only be two days a week um which is how we started then you know it's really gonna i mean two kids 
two college kids, you know, so you get $36 for an hour with two college kids. So let's say 40, so let's run up $40 per hour (laughs) to teach 20 kids. I mean, that's nothing, right? I mean, we're talking about, I think I was running, I mean, we're talking, this thing is going to be like $20,000 to run at 10 schools for the year. Well, I guess and if it, it's crazy. If we did fourth through fifth grade, maybe it costs, maybe it'd be like $40,000. But I mean, it'd be... Uh, but if it does well, you can, you can envision it rolling out to the state and the country in the same way. Same way. the best I mean, it's best like, I don't want to get... Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But yeah, if we prove... I think if we prove the model out this year, we'll get some press on that. And... Then the surrounding school districts are going to hear about this and they're going to be like, hey, we'd like to hear more about this. Sounds really exciting. How did you guys do this? Maybe we, we might be interested in doing something like this ourselves, right? Because if, you, if you're in La Cunada, which is a wealthy city next door or South Pasadena or San Marino or whatever, and you're reading in the news that the Pasadena school district, which is not known to have, I mean, we're kind of a mixed school district. We have middle class, but it's also a lot of kids who are, free and reduced lunch is called soci- from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. So if they're doing this thing where they're doing advanced math and learning, going to be learning calculus and all this kind of advanced stuff in junior high, you're going to be like, wait, wait a minute. Why don't we do this? Why can't we do this? <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. And that's totally. what the parents are going to say. And then the teachers and the administrators are going to be like, yeah, why that is really cool. How did they do that? And they're going to want to find out and say, and they're going to want to talk to us. And the next thing you know, I can imagine that, you know, Hootie and I or Sandy or whoever or whatever are sitting around having meetings, talking to these other, uh, you know, district administrators and principals and saying, look, this is how we did it. This is how we'd recommend you could do it. This is our curriculum and work with them. And then it it spreads, right? You get enough press and people, you you get like a, like this is a proven recipe. And, and, and then, and then we're going to map out all, I'm going to map out the curriculum for all of high school. It's basically be like undergraduate math <laughs> in high school. I thought Sandy was like, we're going to graduate. Oh, because we ran through the numbers. She's like, you know, even if it was only at 10 schools and you had 20 kids per year per grade, that's 200 kids per year. And even if you had a 50% attrition rate in high school coming in ninth grade, you'd have 100 kids per year coming in doing like, you know, differential equations and abstract algebra and all this crazy stuff you'd be graduating more equivalent math majors than most universities <laughs> wow you know and maybe the attrition rate would be lower than that maybe we'd have we'd be down to we'd have 75 percent attrition by then maybe we'd only have 50 but that would be still massive it would be huge that's, that'd so be cool. a ma- that's called making a huge impact is you have these kids coming out who are incredibly well prepared well educated to uh, to do all kind of amazing things in math and science and other math related areas, which, as we know, is like what the world is these days. Software and math are eating the world, and you know it it could potentially be, you know, just uh, what you disruptive, right? I mean, this is just just I mean, and, but you know what thing we're trying to do though is, and one thing that she said she was she was reiterating on, she's like, you know. We need to be careful and we have to make sure we're doing things in a way that it's not like this is being done to the schools. It's being done within the school's fabric. Right. And that we, when we do meetings or we do the hiring of these, you know, it's like we need to invite you know, the administrators or principals or whatever and be very transparent and get people involved and get people excited about it and, and, um, and everything. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Because that's the way I've been operating within the 
with doing this class in the school is I'm always talking to the teachers about what we're doing, keep them updated email, talking to them in person, talking to the, you know, the gate or CRT teacher and the, the principals. And just, it's kind of like being pushy, but be polite. You know, like you want to come in and be, you know, like you're like a battering ram in terms of like you're this un, you're this force of nature. Like people look at you and go, okay, this guy is not going to stop, but he's really impassioned, enthusiastic about this. And he's being really friendly about it too. <laughs> you know, like you're not, you're not like stepping on people's toes or trying to make people fat, feel bad. You're trying to do the opposite. Yeah. People respond to that. You know, I mean, people don't mind change and they don't mind people doing new things as long as it's not, it doesn't have these sort of negative aspects to it where it's like taking something away from them that they really were making them look bad or feel bad or feel excluded or whatever. It's, you know, you got to deal with people and you need to deal with them in the way that, that makes them feel good about things. Then you end up having a bunch of allies instead of a, a bunch of um, enemies. So you know? the exciting thing about it is like you, you could spend a few years doing this, you know, and scaling it. And even if it, you know, wasn't kind of financially rewarding, it would still be just totally satisfying for you. And then you have other investments and stuff that can, you know, potentially bring in some nice cash. Yeah. I mean, well, look, with Uber, I, I will have made my money. I won't have to really worry about that anymore. Um, if, 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 you know, things continue to go well, then nothing strange it, happens. Yeah, you know, things can happen. I mean, we saw what happened to Zynga and Groupon. Companies that were high flyers can implode, and it's it's always possible. I don't think that's going to happen with Uber. I think Uber is going to be more like an Alibaba or something. It's going to yeah. it's going to have a massive success and have a huge IPO, and it's going to continue to be a very successful, disruptive, and ultimately you know valuable company. Um, but you know, we'll see. But I'm not so. Therefore, I'm like. I, I think I think so. I'm not. That's why for this whole thing, for me, it's not about money. I'm, I don't need money. Like I'm telling, she's just a couple times. She's like, "Well, you know, we could pay you for this." I'm like, "You know, I don't need. I don't want. I don't. I don't need the money. I don't want. You know, I'd rather be able to. I'd rather not get paid, and then it gives me a little more freedom. I think and flexibility, and and I don't want to take money away from this thing. I'd rather be able to hire more instructors or get more things going than like, you know, I get paid some token salary for something. I mean, that just seems like a waste of money to me. But does it excite you, the idea that it like really takes off and you could push it out across the States? Oh, are you kidding? Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> I would just love, I mean, I would, you know, I mean, a lot of the reason I think, you know, people like us and a lot of our listeners become entrepreneurs is they want to change the world. They want to make things better. In some way, and it's not just about making money. I mean, it's partially about making a good living or making money, and you know that's that's just the facts of life. That you you know you got to pay your bills, and especially once you have a family, you got a lot of bills to pay. But and then there's also the part of it, just the fun of building stuff. But I think there's also a huge aspect to all of us. Is like you know, like it's still Steve Jobs, you know, famous line about making a dent in the universe. You know, it's like. You want to make a difference, like, and make a positive difference and, and make the world a better place. And we all have a different sort of madness in us of like, you know, that there's something in the world that we really not only don't like or think could be better, but we think we can fix. Wasn't, and, was, was the Steve Jobs quote about the guy he was bringing over from Pepsi? Scully. Yeah, I mean, Scully, I think his name. And he's like, do you want to make sugar water or do you want to change history? Yeah, yes. Yeah, it was basically, I think it was in reference to that in that, within that conversation. And, 
you know, and I think, I, I, you know, I, you know, if you have an opportunity to, 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 to change things, so then you should do it, you know, and it's funny. I mean, we've, and it'll be interesting if this hap- if this whole thing happens, it, it'll be, it'll be, should be fun for the listeners too, because I think they're like, you know, they've heard me go on and on for the past two years <laughs> talking about this silly little math class that I teach. They're like, why? You know, they're probably some of them are thinking like, I don't understand why he's doing this. It just takes up a lot of his time and his mental space. He should be launching another tech company or building some new technology or something, you know, that that's more leveraged that can affect things or, you know, I don't get it. And I can, and I think that was fair, right? Because it just seems silly and small. But you know, most big things have really silly small uh, beginnings. I mean, you look at look at um, you know Khan Academy. Saul Khan yeah. was a, a, he was a he worked at a hedge fund. I don't know if he was a hedge fund manager. I think he worked at a hedge fund, and he was probably some kind of a quant slash portfolio manager, and he probably made you know, half a million dollars a year, a million dollars a year or more, right? He's making a lot of money, probably having fun, doing stuff he likes. And he kind of gets this bug about creating these videos for his, uh, his niece. And then at some point he tells his boss and his coworkers and friends like, yeah, I'm going to quit working in the hedge fund industry. I'm going to um, <laughs> turn this website where I make videos for math. For free that I just put on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, you, if you knew him, you'd be like, dude, what are you even talking about? It's that is crazy. so, uh, they're like, dude, I know you're a smart guy. I want you to see, but that is honestly, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, he probably heard that at least from a dozen people or maybe some of them were only a few were bold enough to say it to his face. The rest just talked behind his back. We're like, oh, I don't know what's going on with Saul. He's yeah, he's a brilliant guy, but you know, he'll be back in a year or two. He'll go make his videos and whatever. And then he'll, he'll come back. And now <laughs> The Khan Academy is a worldwide phenomenon, right? It's changed the world, mm-hmm. and 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 um, and it sounds silly. And I'm not, and I'm not mean to say that this is going to change the world at the level of Khan Academy is. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there's a lot of instances. Most things start out were really silly, silly and small. I mean, Uber started out with one car and you know a couple people in an office. I mean, everything. I mean, Google started with two guys in a garage. Just to just know? to say, so a, some a company like Uber or or Light. As I can now say, um, wh- wh- do you think, well, like, how are they changing the world? For example, how are they making the world a better place? Well, well, a lot of ways. I mean, first of all, Uber. Um, you have, for one, you have way fewer DUIs in most major cities. Right there, <laughs> just off the bat. Um, you have people are. You probably have made uh, um, a lot. Of, I mean, I hear people all the time. Just their lives are so much easier because of Uber because they can get around to where they need to get. They, you know, used to be such a pain. Um, I think that uh, you know, I've talked to you know dozens and dozens of drivers, and they they're like, yeah, they love it because they make a living know, from it. They can make a living at it. It's flexible. They're like, ah, you know, I like talking to people. I like seeing parts of the city. I can I make more money than I was making, you know, tutoring French or working at a bike shop or running my organic restaurant. I mean, all those people are doing other things. They're like, yeah, I was not making any money. It was struggle. This is great because now I can I can pick and choose when I want to work and whatever. I mean, so you have people on both sides that are, um, you know, happier. So the world it's made the world more efficient. You know, made transportation. It's making transportation much, much more efficient, and ultimately, we'll take take cars off the road, get rid of parking spaces. You know, it's ultimately just, uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. So, so I don't know. I mean, it, it, you know, 
so anyway, to, to sum it up, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm, um, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Oh, but you know, one thing I want to, um, say, so here's something interesting. So I'm, um, okay. Well, I just want to go on a little bit of a, a related, but a, a slightly different, uh, track on this. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to plan out the curriculum for next year and my goal for next year for the, for my class of my, the sixth graders is to have them get over a 700 on a math level two subject exam, which basically a, math, a, uh, a test that covers all of um, high school math up through pre-calculus. Yeah. And I'm also, yeah, if the red, I'm sorry. No, I was just, I was just kind of repeating. I was just, uh, you know, when you say something to try and take it in, okay, over a 700. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Which is, which is like what you, what kids like at Ivy league colleges would score. So it's not like kids in the state, your A, you go to your normal state school would not normally get that high on a test like that. Um, so you're talking, what are the best students score after their 11th grade year? So the best 17 year old kids who are going to the top schools, what are they scoring? They're scoring in the 700s. Um, so that's really something. So that's going to be a, that's going to be a big challenge to do that. The second thing is I want to see if I can get the kids to get fours and fives on the AP calculus exam, which is again, the calculus, AP calculus is scored or one through five, like where a three is considered passing. So like three is called qualified, four is well-qualified and five is very well-qualified. So if you can get a bunch of 11 year olds to get well-qualified on AP exam, that would be something. And the reason so I want- Not only do you want them to, to come in younger, you want them to come in younger and as good as their, their, their equivalents if they were at that age group. Yeah, see, because what you want to do is, you know, uh, you need, you, you want skeptics, you want to head the skeptics off at the pass. They're going to come like, oh, well, you know, yeah, sure, you can teach calculus and all stuff to these younger kids, but then or do they really understand it, you know? And, you know, the test you're given, are you just making the test really easy? Or are you just kind of like teeing up the test so that they're exactly, practically the exact same problems you just did in the homework? You know, I mean, how can you, you know, so they're, you, you, you really need to demonstrate that they know what you're saying they know or know it as well. Because if they're not learning it, because if, hey, if they're not really learning it, is you're kind of cheating the system somehow? Um, or, or if, um, they're learning it, but they just don't learn it that well. Then people are like, well, they're not learning it that well because you're going too fast. So you need to slow down to the stuff, right? You, the, the way you show them is you say here, they just beat pretty much every kid in your high school on a standardized test. So shut up, <laughs> right? Right. That's essentially what you need to do. But of course you don't have to be rude because you just, the score speak for themselves. They're just that ends it. That's that's in the press. These old kids score da da da. And then people are like, holy crap, right? And it's like the um, the uh, it's Carl Sagan's famous quote: "Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence." You know, if you're going to say these kids know this stuff, like you better be able to prove it. And the way you prove it is on a standardized test that everybody in the nation takes, and which and the scores of which everybody understands when they hear them. They're like, oh, geez, you know. So that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, those are going to be our two goals for the year. And so I'm, um, I was funny. I was looking online for books, you know, because there's all these, you, you look at like a, a standard textbook, like a high school or, or college textbook. And well, college textbooks are, are, are known to be really expensive. There are a lot of times they're like these math books are like $200, $250, $300 for one textbook. I mean, that's amazing, right? $300 for a textbook. So in the high and the, and the ones in high school, I was looking at these pre-calculus books. They were the same way. They were like 150 dollars. It was unbelievable. 
I was like, uh, screw that, you know, I'm not. And then, so what I was, what I did is I looked at all of like the test prep books. So the, the math level two test prep, test prep books from like Barron's and Princeton review, these like, they cover all the same material that's in the pre-calculus book, but they also have lots of sample tests so they can understand like how, how are these, what are these questions like? How hard are they? You know, cause you want to see lots of different types of problems so that, you know, you really used to more than just one kind. And sometimes if you're a teacher, it's easy to keep using the same kind of problem. And then, you, you know, you just haven't really taught them. You haven't showed them wide enough range and they're just not, not as good at it. Right. And you just say, look, you need to, problems can be all different types. So I was initially doing that, but then I was looking at all these test prep books have really, you know, the first two thirds of the book is just like overviews of all this material, really good, concise explanations. And I was like, you know, I mean, and these books cost like $10, $12. Like the most expensive cost 15. They cost between nine and $15. So I'll order like five, I'll order a book from each one of the major publishers. Um, so Kaplan, McGraw-Hill, Princeton Review, um, Barron's, and then maybe one or two independents. And it'll cost me all of 70 or $5 or something for like five of these, six of these books. Whereas if I brought one free calculus book, it would have cost me $200. <laughs> and it would have been as good. And which is interesting. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting is, well, because first of all, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm gonna read about, I'm gonna read on this chapter on matrix algebra, and you're like, if the one book doesn't explain it very well, then you're just kind of like, I don't get it, I don't understand, like, or the explanation just sucks, or it's too long-winded, or they give weird examples, and it's just, I don't know, and it happens all the time. If you get five books, and like one or two of them doesn't do a good job explaining, it doesn't matter. All you need is one book to be like, oh, that's a great way to explain this. You know, and that's what I'm always looking for. I'm like, I'm always looking for different types of problems that I hadn't thought about or different ways of, of, of challenging, you know, your understanding of the, of the material, but also different ways of explaining it. Like, oh, that's, you know, and sometimes they do, sometimes there'll be an author will have a little different way of explaining it that just, you can tell it's going to work or you, or you believe that the kids are just, their kids are going to understand that or even changes your understanding of it. You're like, that's, I never thought about that way. And, um, but anyway, it's just a great hack. It's just funny. And the reason I think it works that way is textbooks are sold normally in at least not at least from the K through 12 and you know after high school whatever it's 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 sold to school districts so you're selling a book to uh, a school district and you're saying you know here use our book and and the districts are going to make a decision based in a large part on whether it covers all the topics that they think they might want to cover and like in their state standards and everything does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So um, then, and then, but what happens is, is that it's, you know, they're not really optimizing for the right thing. So but these books are massive because you have to include everything that anyone might possibly want to learn. Um, and so you have this 500 or 800 page, you know, brick. And, but these books, these test prep books, they're really geared towards learning the material that's relevant that's on the math level two, which is basically what the college board has said. This is what's important for high school kids to know if they're going to go and study math or physics and stuff in college. This is, this is the stuff. And these books, if they do poor explanations, no one's going to buy them. Right? So right. if you're like, I want to learn you know, about matrix algebra, and then you read it and you're like, these exhibitions sucks. I, I, it doesn't, this, this is like, this is horrible. You're just gonna write a bad review. No one's gonna, in, on Amazon, and you're not gonna tell anyone about it. So they're optimizing for 
their ability to explain concepts well and have good problems where the textbooks are optimizing for being able to make a sale to a district. And so now I'm like, now I understand why these sort of either these self-teaching guides books like, you know, X, you know, like linear algebra for dummies or D- linear algebra demystified. These are all, these are like 10, $15 books or the test prep books. They're just amazing. And they have just tons of problems. It's just funny. I just was just like, it just shows you how the power of, of incentives and economics, like who's, what incentives are you, do you have and, and what are you optimizing for? And that's the outcome you're going to, you know, get. So I'm, um, and just to finish it off, so I'm making up the, uh, I, I'm going to make up the curriculum for the whole year and I'm making all the problems. I'm trying to make as many of the promises as I can this summer. And I'm going to do the same thing for the fourth and fifth grade. So my summer is going to be spent largely making, <laughs> designing a whole year's worth of curriculum for two or three. But months. it sure as hell saves you a load of time. Oh, doing what? Making just that strategy that you've got. Like it just, it's just going to be easy. You know, you just find the good problems. It'll have the answer in the book. And it's just a little bit. Yeah, I'll think of problems. I mean, I make up all problems. So like, I'll, I'll like, if I'm doing, let's say, matrix algebra, and I say, okay, you know, and I look up a price review book, and I go, oh, that's a good problem. But then you'll see some problems in another one. Like, oh, they're asking a, the problem in a different way, and that's an interesting way to ask it, right? If you'd only looked at one book, you wouldn't have seen that problem. So I have a bigger range of problems, which is ultimately better for the kids, right? Because it stretches their learning. Yeah. So anyway, very nice. That's cool. I, I got another that's thing I was talking cool. about. Oh, okay. Go on. So I, uh, this is kind of funny. So our printer has been on the Brits for a while and which is a problem because I have to print out the problem sets for the kids every day or every, for every class. And so finally it gave out once and for all of its old HP printer. And so I went online to look and I, I just, I was like, you know, these printers are pretty cheap now. You can get a pretty decent laser printer for like 250 bucks or something, $300. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but I went a little bigger, and I went for a four hundred fifty dollar color laser printer because oh, nice. it's color. <laughs> and not only is it color, but it's automatically both sides if if you want. So it's called full duplex. Oh, that's and, very cool. So you can you can do battle math with that. Yeah, and it will scan both sides. So you could have a stack of papers on it, and it'll just suck them all in and, and scan both sides. Oh, that's or that's very nice. It'll scan color or black and white. And it has like a copy. You pull the top off and it has like a normal, like a copy machine. And it does 30 <laughs> pages per minute and it's fully networked. So it just sits at the corner. It's not no wires or anything. And unbelievable. I and mean, it's like 450 bucks. It was like, and I wrote on Amazon prime and it got here like in, you know, two days or something. Well, that, that is, a, I mean, that is a lot of money, but uh, you know, you, well, you it buy, is. I mean, look, you back in the day, money, a laser, printer, a laser printer would cost you $1,500. Oh yeah! Oh no! I, back in the day, it would cost you ten thousand. I mean, I remember those. Or even a, even like a dot matrix printer. I mean, even even the first number. They, I mean, it wasn't until recently that printers have gotten really cheap. I mean, recently, last five or seven years. I mean, they used to be pretty expensive. Even just black and white printers. It's only lately they've gotten so cheap, and so it's like four hundred fifty dollars is not expensive. And sort of no. can like the importance of having a you know the value of having a really good printer how much time it saves you and and having to like run up to like a get them printed at like the office depot or something that's cool and and the fact that it's a laser printer lasts ages like you don't have to change the cartridges once every couple of days yeah yeah so it was just funny it saved me just last just yesterday um my buddy doug who uh runs mv code club he so he his son wants to um his he started telling that he wants to go to mit and, and Doug, I think when I told you, Doug told him, like, look, dude, if you want to get MIT, you got to get really good at math. He's like, okay. And he's like, so you need to start learning algebra and stuff now. 
like Colby's doing because he knows Colby because he's the same age as Colby. And he's like, okay, fine. He's like, all right. So Doug calls me. He's like, all right, well, I wish we were at dinner when I was up there in, in San Francisco last. And he's like, he's like, all right, well, what do I, how do I teach him? Do you have curriculum or whatever? I'm like, here, just use this book series. And I, I listed on the la- as a, and the, the whole series of books on the last, uh, the comments of the last show, if someone, anyone's interested. And just use the straightforward math uh, series. And then the algebra one, two, and three, each book is like 12 bucks. And so he orders them and they're about to uh, head on this um, trip. They're going on an RV trip and for like a week and a half or so. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I wanted to start because we're going to be in the car. And we have plenty of time, but I don't have uh, the book still hasn't arrived. It's like taking like two weeks because I had to buy it for some independent publisher or something. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll just scan the pages for you. So I, because I have the scanner now, I was like, here, I'll just scan. Here's the first, you know, 30 pages or something that should last you. Oh, through. perfect. So I can just get started. Yeah, you can start. Here you go. And I just, I just scan them. And, and so you just stuck in, I just stuck in, in the printer. I just stuck in a, uh, an USB, uh, little USB thumb drive, scanned it, and then just pulled it out and stuck it on my computer and zipped it up. Here you go. It was like, that saved me a ton of time. That's <laughs> that very cool. Nice. You know, so I don't know. I was just blown away by, um, I'm just blown away by how cheap this technology is. It's like $450, and you got like this, Thing that you know, not too long ago would have cost ten thousand dollars or something. It's just sort of amazing. It's very cool. Um, so um, <clears throat> I may sound a little like backgrounding you, and the reason is is because um, on the in the in the house we we're in, um, there all sorts of things are happening, like dinners ready, and people are waiting. They're kind of waiting for me and that kind of thing. Oh, okay. So we need to cut it down already. <laughs> we yeah. I mean, we're we're almost up to one and a half hours. Okay, let me let me uh, let me just do a couple quick quick topics. You mind if I do a couple quick ones? I'll yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. Let's wrap. We, let's wrap up with some of your uh, interesting interesting okay, stuff. One thing was, not, that, not that this wasn't interesting, but yeah. Well, you know, you know how um, uh, uh, we were talking about uh, which was it? Benchmark that company that had all their sort of anti-portfolio, all the all the. Oh company. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that anti-portfolio thing. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. and I and I was saying, well, I think it's interesting because these these VCs are probably more like followers. They're, t- they're pattern matchers. They're followers. They don't really yeah. look at the underlying principles. I think they're just very they play it safe and all that kind of stuff. And I still believe that's mostly true. But what's interesting is, you know, there's a recent uh, Forbes article about Chris Saka uh, about calling him like the he, how he has the Midas touch. He's like the most successful angel investor of all time. That kind of thing. Have you did you, you ever see that article? I did not know. Well, Chris Sackett, he invested in a bunch of these big um, uh, startups. He's made a lot of money, and he invested Uber. He invested in Twitter. He and you know he's you know early on and, and everything. So, um, I I listened to I was listening to an interview with him. I think it was on uh, the Tim Ferriss show before uh, the which, by the way, I'd highly recommend. It's actually a, a really good show. Uh, he interviewed his usually some really interesting interviews, and um, so. He's interviewing him and he's talking about, and I think one thing that he, Chris Saka said was how the companies that he didn't invest in. And, and then I listened, and I was kind of struck by it. So I remembered, I wrote him down. And then I, I watched another interview or two with him just because I want to see. And he talked about it again and listed some other companies. So here are the companies that, where the, in, where the entrepreneurs came to him early on and he just blew them off. So here are the ones he missed. So he got Twitter, Uber, and Instagram. Okay. Right. They're the ones he missed. Zynga. Okay. Guilt Group. Guilt Group. Yeah, they're 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 big. You know, they made a lot of money. Airbnb. Maybe you've heard of them. 
Yeah, I've heard of Airbnb. Yeah. GoPro. <laughs> Have you heard of GoPro? Oh, wow. Gone yeah. Public. Snapchat. Wow. Dropbox. Wow. So I can't remember but the they, Z. But they seem like very obvious. But I'm, I'm like Bessemer Ventures also. There was Bessemer Ventures. I think they also passed on Dropbox. Yeah, so Dropbox, like he, he's funny. Like, so one thing he was talking about is how on Snapchat he was like so focused on the negative case. Like, oh, they're going to be like, you know, it's going to be like chat roulette. You know, it's just going to be a bunch of dick pics, you know, and if yeah. you want to use it right. Like he's, he said, so when they learned is like, don't focus so much on the negative case. He was just so focused on the negative case. Cause it's like Uber initially, if you focus on the negative case, like, oh, how are you got the taxi unions and it's going to be. Yeah commission and people are in background chat. What happens if somebody like just kidnaps somebody? You start focusing on that stuff and then it just, you can't get past it. And you're like, that's never going to work. And it's like, don't focus on the negative coast. Focus on how, what this value we can deliver if it works. And then we'll figure out our ways around these negative cases, you know, and uh, GoPro, the guy came in and he's like, yeah, he's like, how are you going to compete with the Koreans? They're so far ahead of us. And like, you know, they're in cameras and all that stuff. And he just kind of blew the guy off and, and I think that I think he said with the with the with Dropbox when he talked to Drew Drew Houston he was just like yeah we're doing this thing because he at that point he was still working at at um, Google and he was part of like their ventures group a little bit or he would sit on the meetings and he he basically took Eric Schmidt aside and he's like yeah with this Dropbox I mean you know or oh what he said oh no that I'm, I'm mixing things up he went and told Drew Houston he's like look you know we're we're gonna Google's building something like this. So oh, you might, G Drive, the G Drive. Yeah, we're building something like this. So you might as well just switch. We're just gonna, you're just gonna get killed. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why. That's why. You know, when you say that about light or whatever, I just don't think it's truly, truly relevant. Like it's, it's. It, it, there's a lot of cases where small guys trump big guys. For example, as I like the example I always say is YouTube. You know, and and Google videos. But now you've given me another one. G-Drive and uh, Dropbox. Yeah. I mean, well, so it's a little different, though, but Google. So Google hadn't released anything yet, right? So you're working oh, on it. I so mean, so they, G-Drive they've been working on it for ages. I mean, they, like, it, they, they were using it. Their internal staff were using it for, like, I don't know, five years or something before that. Like, it was a, a longstanding project. Right, right. So anyway, that I just thought that was interesting reading on that. Um, yeah, it's very cool. So, um there was an article in um, about uh, I can't remember the article, but the, but the Defense Department is 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 ordering these um, these hover bikes. Have you seen those? No way. Yeah, they look they're kind of reminiscent of those. Um, what were those things they had in um, Return of the oh, No uh, Empire? No, was it Return of the Jedi? Yeah, where they're like going through the forest. You remember when they're going through yeah. the forest in the Return of the Jedi and those things that those those little hover bike things? Well, these things have yeah, like yeah. yeah, and so there's a couple companies, one of them, and uh, that, that make them, and and um, Lexus is actually building one. They actually have a oh, actually, I'm sorry, Lexus is building a a hoverboard. I'm sorry, I'm excited. Is, is it jet? Is it jets or is it like propellers? Propellers, but it's underneath. And this one by Aeroflex, it lo- Aerofex, it looks amazing. It's like $80,000 or something. But I mean, I, I told Sandy, I'm like, if I ever can buy like a, just a silly toy <laughs> myself, I'm this. I mean, look at this sucker. It, it can go like 45 miles an hour. It, it really um, does look amazing. Maybe, are you right seeing now. it? Are you looking yeah. at it? Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. And it goes 45 that miles an hour. really cool. It, ho- it hovers between like six and 10 feet off the ground. 
They have one that'll go over water that's built for, for although again, this thing can go over anything. I mean, it's, it looks really cool, doesn't it? Very cool. And it's like driving like a jet ski or something. Where's the battery? I mean, is it electric or petrol? I, I think it's, it's electric. Petrol. Yeah, that does look cool. <laughs> I don't know. Nice. I was just like, that is, that is amazing. So, like, the future is now. <laughs> I mean, this stuff is actually happening. Um, oh, I have a quick question to ask you. Are, you. are you done with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I briefly just started watching a video that was on Hacker News about a guy called James Simmons. James Simons. Eric James Simons. Simons. James Eric Simons. Simons. Yeah. And uh, the, the first, just the, in the beginning, he, he had said, so basically, the long and the short of it is, is he's very, very successful and very wealthy, but all through math. <laughs> yes. So I thought that he's, he's the kind of guy you'd know about. But um, he said that he, when he was four, he got fascinated with math when he heard that you could basically run a car forever on just a gallon of fuel. Well, he but, thought, uh, no, what, 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 so he was talking about Zeno's Paradox. Yeah, I actually watched that video. All right. Oh, okay. And it's a great one. I'll put a link up to it. People, you should definitely listen to it if you're remotely interested in, uh, in, in math or that kind of stuff. So he, um, by the way, just to get a back, background, James Simmons, or Simons, I, I don't know how you say his name, but he, uh, he was a math professor. He ran the math department at, at Stony Brook uh, after coming out of MIT. So he's a, he's a really, he was a successful mathematician. And then he did, he went into money management and with, started his own little money management firm and became a, a hedge fund. And after two years of doing sort of manual decision-making, he, uh, they started building models and uh, built Renaissance technologies over time, which is the most successful sort of model driven hedge fund of all time. He himself is worth personally $14 billion dollars. Um, he's retired now. So he, when he's four, he got interested in Zeno's paradox where it's like, if you go, if you say, well, it's two miles, you know, to the store and then you go halfway there a mile. And then the next day you go half a distance and then you go the next day, you go half a distance that next day, half that you'll never get to the two miles. Zeno's paradox. Yeah. All right. Well, so anyway, so, um, yeah, check out the James Sims video that you're going to put a link to anyway. That was the last little thing I wanted to just get your. Thoughts yeah, on? yeah. Um, the, so, um, there's an interesting article about. There's actually a couple articles. One's in Nautilus, uh, was, and it was called uh, "How the Super Intelligent Humans Are Coming." How China has they got the DNA from like two hundred, two thousand of the smartest people in the world, and they're trying to reverse engineer, at least from a DNA perspective, what, how do you engineer that kind of intelligence from a from a from a genetic engineer from a genetic standpoint. And there, you know, I mean, this, 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 it might be many years before you see any, anything as a result of this, but, you know, if, if they could even hone in on a handful of the genes and increase their average IQ in their country by five or 10 points, it would be game over for the rest of the world, <laughs> you know, and that's sort of their perspective on it. Um, if you look at G national GDPs based on the average IQ of the population, I mean, it's just massive countries that have higher have higher higher IQs, average IQs, and a lot of that average I, average IQ stuff is based on or the reason that countries have lower IQs is that they have bad, poor nutrition. So kids growing up and they don't get the right nutrients and their brains don't develop quite well enough. In the, in the on the whole IQ thing, I'm I, th I found a company that makes. Remember remember I was talking about there was this brain training software called Dual and Back. 
and that there was a bunch of peer-reviewed research showing that there yeah i think so yeah six to eight week period of 30 minutes of training a day that they were seeing a a substantial increase in working memory which is Mm -hmm. which is a very core component to what is known as fluid intelligence you know what are the core of iq so if you increase your working memory it's like you generally increase your iq um, which would be how you'd score an IQ test, how good you'd be at solving problems, that kind of stuff. Because you can think about it, how much, how much sort of, how many different ideas or information you can hold in, in RAM in your brain at the same moment when you're sort of juggling around to figure out a problem. The more you can yeah. hold, the, the better you're going to be at thinking of new ideas, synthesizing new ideas, solving problems. So I had been talking, I'd mentioned this before, I think it was like last year or some point, and I was kind of getting interested in it because I read a couple of articles and I went and I read a bunch of the papers and I said, you know, it looks like there's something real here. And after my experience with the vertical jump training, then I, I became a little more open minded to the ability that the possibility of actually changing or improving your yourself through training. And so there's a company called um I think it's I3 Mindware. And it's like fifty dollars for the system. And uh it's similar to the one they've described in the in the in the papers, but they've added some stuff to it. The guy who run who's runs the company is um, he's out of the uh, Carnegie Mellon's uh, neuroscience department, and so he seems like a a, pr- a pretty legit guy. And uh, anyway, I I'm, I'm thinking I I actually just bought it before the show. I said, <laughs> I said because I've been talking to Colby. Colby's been wanting to do it, and I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. I mean, just as an experiment, you know, like. What the hell, right? <laughs> yeah. Why not? So take a little IQ test before, um, do it for a while, and take an IQ and see if it actually works. Um, and they also say it's kind of like it's kind of like lifting weights in the sense. Oh, they don't use this analogy, but this is, it is very similar to this. It's like, you know, if you if you just go and run around and just exercise in general, you're not going to get that much stronger or anything. Just like if you went out and played volleyball or went for a jog or whatever. But if you went and do squats. You're, you do the right specific type of training, you can have the right type of physical adaptation to that training, right? And that's what like mm. the back is like for increasing working memory. And if you do it consistently and you keep upping the level, it's going to make a difference. Like if you go to the gym and you just kind of go once or twice a week and you kind of screw around and do different exercises, you're not going to see a whole lot of improvement. But if you go and do the right exercise with the right intensity and you keep increasing, increasing that intensity, that, then you're going to... Uh, you're going to see an adaptation, and that's pretty much. Does it specifically target the end back thing you're talking about? Yeah, they use a dual end back. Um, Where does it say? Oh, dual end back training has proven. Yeah, okay, okay got it. Yeah, two G so, brain training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they add some things into it, so it's not just visual, it's visual and auditory and and some other things. So um, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. It'll be a fun experiment to run. And yeah, they have an initial like. You know, do it for 20 days and you should see X amount of results, which is kind of similar. Like if you went and you did and I said, you know, go and do squats for X amount of time. I mean, you know, you you could obviously keep doing it for a while and keep seeing improvements, but you'll see an initial jump right away. Right. I mean, just like yeah. when you do the strength training for a, a couple months. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's you will see an adaptation. So I don't know. That's going to be my uh experiment for the summer i think <laughs> since, since i'm Excellent. still injured and i can't get back to the i still can't lift weights i'm like well i, I i'll just switch to this gotta do something gotta do something you're gonna run some kind of self-experiment body hacking or whatever so <laughs> so so um be prepared for some updates on that i'll uh right. that'll be a kind of a, a, a show storyline for uh the next i don't know how many times we'll see i see it if i see some progress 
if we do it, then obviously I'll keep going with it. If I could do it for like the initial 20 days and I don't see a whole lot, then I'll be like, eh, doesn't work. <laughs> Whatever. So, uh, yeah. All right. So that's it, right? You got to go eat some dinner and, uh, yep. Get on with your life. Keep people downstairs. All right. Well, I guess that's a wrap. We're out.